1: NY or text hope NY in New York.
2: And what is up? Welcome in a Thursday episode of GC Live, also known as the day after Nicholas Harbor Day at South Carolina, of course, the Gamecocks getting their guy on Wednesday, a long, I don't want to say excruciating battle, but it was a back-and-forth battle to the very end. South Carolina outlasting Oregon, maybe some Maryland in there a little bit as well. And, of course, if you're going to look at the big picture of how this recruitment played out, Chris, um, there there were several other times where other schools were either heavily involved or maybe even the possible leaders I think in the terms of Michigan you look back I was trying to think back to Nick's recruitment there was a stretch where LSU was mentioned as being a major major player here there was a stretch where it looked like Georgia might be about to hop in and be a factor Um Miami tried to get in and, and sort of make a run late so a, a very interesting recruitment we talked about it on the 107.5 show I think the beauty of the podcast though is we can go a little bit deeper into everything. Uh, so if you listen to the show earlier, there will be some carryover, obviously, but uh, I think we'll be able to dive into some things a, a little bit more, man. And let, let's just start, I guess, big picture, the impact of getting Nick Harbor just currently. I mean, the, the level of attention this thing got, the perception. Somebody on our uh, comment section earlier today basically said, you know, the Gamecocks are putting – people on notice, putting fans for other schools on notice. Um, It did kind of have that feel. I I don't know if you want to put that much stock into one guy, but uh, I think the way you said it earlier, Chris, is the way to start moving up in the college football world is to land a couple of guys where people start to say, how did that school land that player? And when that happens, other people tend to take notice.
3: Yeah, they do. I mean, and to give an example – that might be, like, painful but but relevant to South Carolina fans. Like, like you think about how – remember when Clemson landed, like, C.J. Spiller? And you're like, what the heck? You know, you, you beat Florida and all these other schools. And there are other examples, right? But that's one that I think Carolina fans would probably be familiar with. You know, landing a Jadavion Clowney, a Stephon Gilmore, Marcus Sidemore, Those are in-state guys. You know, to go to the DMV region, which has been a point of emphasis for Shane Beamer – and to beat out some of the nation's, uh, you know, biggest names, um, biggest brands that have a lot of prestige academically and athletically, uh, you, you do beat out home state Maryland for a kid like Nicholas Harbor. You know, normally you go, okay, you beat Maryland, whoop do. doo But for a guy like Nicholas Harbor, who's a relationship guy, that's actually pretty relevant and they were heavily in it. And then you go and you, you hold off Oregon at the end with the backing of Phil Knight, Nike, and all the, the aura and prestige of that program, it does serve to kind of, I like that terminology, put people in notice. I think South Carolina kind of officially maybe announces its presence on the recruiting trail that they're back able to make some waves in recruiting less, uh, not arrived in that they're just going to go start drafting players left and right from the recruiting ranks, right? It's still a battle. It's still for South Carolina, scratch and claw. Uh, but this does illustrate that there is zero doubt that Shane Beamer has leveled up the recruiting at South Carolina from 2020, you know, December 2020 for his first 2021 class to now each, sta- each class has kind of stacked and progressed upon the other. And I think there's evidence of that even if you look forward to 24, Wes, like the start that South Carolina's off to with, what, four four-star commitments probably more on the way in the near future. You just kind of look at the quality and it continues to get better. So Nicholas Harbor, I don't even want to say a cherry on top of a really good, uh, in many ways, 2023 class. He was because it was late, but just such a significant get in, in more ways than one here.
2: Yeah. A couple of questions throwing in here on our chat line. Uh, Aaron says any number, any word, what number Harbor will wear? Have not heard that yet. Um, uh, Joey Sox asked, uh, you know, did Harbaugh flirting with the NFL play a factor? I I can't say with complete certainty, but it certainly seemed that way, I think is a fair way to say it. And, I mean, Michigan, that that was a real threat for a long time with Harbaugh. Um, and, and I can tell y'all, the family, uh, I think, especially there was a stretch there, trying it all kind of runs together but from what I remember during the season like during the college football season tons of Michigan talk and his parents really liked what they were hearing from Michigan and you know I I think the factors involved there Harbaugh I mean it's been a it's a yearly thing right now flirting with the NFL then Chris he's staying staying at Michigan but then it's oh wait oh (laughs) <laughs> he's staying but maybe not quite. It's yeah. still the door can still be open. Um so, you know I think some of that stuff the stuff that weird stuff with their offensive coordinator that I don't really know all the details on um you know uh, that that stuff it does seem like played a factor. It also man looking at the reporting up there not as we found out NIL was not the final deciding factor in this but Michigan, at least you read their local reporting up there, surprisingly not as strong in what they can offer uh, from potential NIL standpoint either, it seems, uh, which is very surprising to me. So Michigan very much, I would say at one point, was probably the leader. They They faded down the stretch. It almost by the end felt like Michigan was that team that, has a hat on the proverbial table, even though he didn't even actually do the hat game. Um, it, it sort of felt like they were still in the final group just as a nod of respect to them. They, they weren't really a factor down the stretch, which if you'd have told me that four or five months ago, I, I would have been pretty surprised.
3: Seemed like they were number – what were they, been Number four? four? Yeah. Yeah, they're probably fourth. At the end, which which is, I agree with you, man. I mean, like in August, I went – and I'm going by your timeline because you told me earlier today it was August, so I'm going with that. I think it was August. It was, I think it was before the football season. I went to D.C., met with Harvard, talked to some people at the school, and I walked out of there thinking this is South Carolina or Michigan and I think got some good vibes either way. I actually walked out of the school at that point, Wes, going, I think it's South Carolina right now but also knew that there'd be a long road ahead of that. Um, and I think after that, there's still some ebbs and flows. There's a lot of South Carolina talk at that time, kind of nationally, Wes. And then you're right. Once the, we kind of got into the season, it seemed like the Michigan stuff picked up a, a little bit more. So, uh, you know, again, for a high academic kid, a high academic family that really prioritized and valued that aspect, it was every bit as important to them as everything else there was a lot of appeal, you know, with Michigan and the Michigan man thing. But in the end, I think, you know, and they had good longstanding relationships too. I tend to think it was, like you said, that the Harbaugh stuff and the fact that I think some other schools just had a little bit more of his heart in those schools at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, and this was a, this was a complex um, decision, it seems like. Um, you know, every every player lists out, if we, if we do an interview, Chris, I, I don't even ask this question anymore, I feel like. I don't know. It gets tedious. But you used to always have to ask, hey, man, what are you looking for in a school? It'd be the same stuff every single time, you know. Um, what are you looking for in a school? Well, I'm looking for good academics. I want to play early, relationships, uh, looking for comfort level. Same stuff. Um, but most guys have – Maybe a thing or two that are going to be most important to them, I feel like, even if they don't say it. This case, I mean, talk about all the contributing factors that were going into it. No school was going to be perfect as far as directly checking every single box or leading. If you were going to list them out, like you take the top five and then let's not even do check boxes. Let's say relationships, one through five which school was one, which school was five. Um, I think South Carolina ended up being one in that box. I think that may have been the difference, ultimately. But, Chris, I also think Carolina was not five. Like, if you were taking the final five, you wouldn't put a five by them in any of the other boxes. Like, I I think they checked enough – of all the other boxes as well. If, if you were, let's say, South Carolina, even when Beamer first got here and you're really just starting to build this thing up, maybe the relationship doesn't have an opportunity to even win out because you're just not quite in that conversation yet. I think the trajectory of the program, the progress of NIL at South Carolina, um, the relationships with current players and other commitments – this feels like it was a total, complete decision. Like, all those things were wrapped into this package. But ultimately, I think relationships is the word that, um,
3: that fits. And that's why when, not to kind of, certainly not trying to speak ill of any reporting or people, the people that are reporting these things, but you know you saw some stuff for example out of Miami that was kind of like South Carolina is not really in it and for and there's your first red flag because they are obviously they were and they are because they signed him literally but uh they didn't come out of nowhere to sign him they they were always there and i think some schools a little bit probably overplayed the NIL thing of uh, OK, this is a big time kid, a five star who rightfully so is thinking about and considering, you know, his branding potential, um, his financial potential, whether whether that means through brand deals and, and what he does on the track and on the football field, whether he think about being a surgeon, that's obviously a really good you know profession to get into, which you want to do in the future. I think some people overplayed that, right? Like you saw some stuff out of Miami saying. Well, he, he can maximize his NIL potential in a media in a big media market. Well, that sounds good. It sounds like a nice pitch from Miami, but is that what the kid is actually considering? Is that how he's looking at it? And as it turns out, it wasn't right. So, Nick Harbour is a guy that could go about anywhere and bring that program his name recognition and his branding. And um, you know, he it wasn't as important to go to the biggest name school. If, if that was important, Wes. Then his top five would have been Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Southern Cal, whatever, you know, Notre Dame. I mean, whatever the biggest college football brands are. And that wasn't the case. Very eclectic, unique mix and group of schools. And so Miami. I think their play was, hey, NIL, you know, that's kind of the the vibe you got. And that wasn't just wasn't going to resonate or get it done with a guy like Harbor, who considered every single aspect that you possibly could. And to your point, relationships. I mean, Shane Beamer pointed it out several times yesterday in his press conference. He really felt like that's what it came down to. We heard the family talk about it along the way. We heard Nicholas Harbor himself talk about it. The relationships were really a differentiating factor uh, for South Carolina.
2: Yeah. And I I really got the feeling talking to his dad, man, that, their relationships with those other guys that are coming to Carolina was maybe a little bigger than, um, than has been let on or, or understood. So uh, I, I thought that was interesting, this DMV. Sometimes you wonder this whole idea of a pipeline, right? Like that's something we talk about a lot, you know, how uh, can they build a pipeline to this area? Sometimes a pipeline only lasts as long as your most recent class, right? Like it may get you in the door, but then you miss on the guys for a couple of classes. It's, oh, well, so much for that pipeline that we're talking about. In this case, though, it may be sustainable. And I, I think that just having a little extra level of comfort, not even necessarily in terms of those guys recruiting him, which they were, but just more. I mean, branding, big name, Olympics, NFL draft, all this talk. He's still a kid. You know, he, he still, he still needs to, and I, I believe he recognized he still needs to be happy. Like I, we talked about that on 107.5. This is not just a business decision. This is not a just numbers. Um, you know, what makes the most sense on paper? Ultimately, and he he still to this day brings up that first visit to South Carolina. It must have had an impact, man. To clearly. still bring it up to this day.
3: Yeah, clearly. I, I think South Carolina made a lot of when I say decisions that is going to sterilize it, you know, or whatever kind of you know, kind of put the on paper vibe as you said, Wes. But when I say decisions, it was just things that were organic that South Carolina did that happened to strategically pay off. So that that Beamer did, I don't you know, th- there there can be something that can be strategic, but also genuine at the same time. So Shane Beamer greet literally greeting Nicholas Harbor as he pulled up. You know, I don't know if Shane Beamer was like, I'm going to do this because it'll really resonate with him. I mean, I'm sure, you, you know, you think about those things. Um, but it's also a very genuine thing. I mean, this is a kid that he first learned about when I think Nick was a freshman. Beamer was recruiting another kid at that school that Oklahoma ended up landing, and so you do that. You look at, West, the fact that South Carolina sent several assistant coaches out to Nick Harbor's track meet all the way out in Lubbock, Texas, um, and were there. First of all, the only school that had coaches there and they were there for about seven hours. And I think Nick ran two races. And since he's so fast, the total time was probably 26 seconds that they saw him race. And they were there for seven hours. And so, um, Harbor's family member, at least his father, were there. So, those things resonate, you know. And um, it's a great point on putt powered, you know, uh, Spencer Rattler. Monique rames all the dmv kids like that kind of organically happened you know shane beamer mentioned it during his press conference he didn't have to constantly tell the guys well, well go do this like they're doing it on their own which i think further cements you know the type of culture that shane beamer is building that really helps you recruit at your school and it and it did in this case and now it's
2: becoming a trend man you got guys um and we'll, we'll dive into this here in a second if we have time, but uh, while we were on uh, the show here, Elijah Caldwell, new South Carolina commitment, you know, one of the last guys in the class, he tweets um, – he basically tweets uh, to Mazio Bennett, who's going to announce tomorrow at noon, uh, you know, hey, man, join the fam. I, I don't know exactly what he said, but it's kind of like one of those things when guys see other – prospects doing it other players doing it they want to get in line and do it as well so it's kind of becoming a uh, a trend I feel like among the guys that are um, at South Carolina and that's really what you want you want your you want your players you want your current guys to be invested in building it to where it's not just recruiting pitches it's not just the staff doing it. it it's your actual players who are putting forth the positives of what your program is all about but I will say this, man, getting back to the the on the – not on the field, but to the coach side, the actual recruiting side of it, like you said, some very sharp decisions in this to send everybody out there to, um, to Texas for that. And, yes, to sort of reiterate, Beamer being involved way back um, when the kid from Archbishop who actually went to Oklahoma and Beamer – was at Oklahoma. Um, his name is actually escaping me right now. He's a big offensive tackle, but he is about to be, I think, maybe the number one O lineman picked uh, in the draft. But Beamer made an impression way back then, and uh, I-, I won't say the individual's name for Archbishop because I don't. We were kind of in the middle of ju- we were just talking, so I don't know if he wanted to be quoted on this or not, but. One of the guys at Archbishop who was there throughout the entire recruitment said, man, among the head coaches, Beamer was by far the best recruiter involved with Nick. And that wasn't me as Gamecock Central guy asking him, hey, what did you think of Coach Beamer? Didn't Beamer do great? You know, that was we were just talking. And he mm-hmm. said, hey, man, I'm going to tell you. He said, "Now nah. he said, these, you know, these other coaches, and he even sort of was trying to give the, you know, the pat on the back, like, you know, Loxley was good. Um, you know, he was actually very serious. But he's like, man, Beamer just sort of blew everybody away because he was the best head coach recruiter. And we talked about that. Fans don't really like to hear about this part, but we talked about that even going back to the must champ. Era man, how good of a recruiter Muschamp was compared to other head coaches. Mm -hmm. I think you're seeing that with Beamer as well. Like he's still not all head coaches put forth the effort in recruiting that you're seeing from Beamer. And uh, I think it's interesting for that to be brought up to me without me even hinting at asking. It was just like, hey, you need to know this. And you know, I I think with Beamer, you you sort of are starting to see that pay off now that he's been at Carolina long enough for these relationships to start to really matter when it becomes decision time, as opposed to putting a class together in a couple of weeks when he first got to South
3: Carolina. Yeah. And I think this is kind of independent of Harbor. It's hard to say how much it mattered. It certainly didn't hurt. It's hard to figure out how much it helped, but, you know, having the on-field results that Shane Beamer can now point to in recruiting, with, you know, what they did against Tennessee, what they did against Clemson, how they finished the year, really illustrates the progress that they've made. And then being able to point to even some of the other recruits you'll been you'll be playing with. And hey, here's a bunch of our freshmen have been hitting you up all the time. Or, uh, you know, just things like that. I think it it helps a lot and and gives you more cachet. And so now Beamer, who has, you know, personality, y- y'all probably saw that video they put out that had some of like the highlights of like some of the silly like videos that Shane Beamer's made in recruiting, not just for Harbor, but for other recruits too. When you kind of mix that with like some on-field results, those are the types of things that can appeal to, to some guys. And so um, I, I think we are starting to, you know, see a little bit more of his recruiting acumen and those on-field results helping with that. But there, there's no doubt that like if, if Shane Beamer is not at South Carolina there's no chance that South Carolina's in the mix with Nick Carver. Like, I just don't think so. I, I mean, you put almost any other head coach at South Carolina out there. I just don't think it's happening. It was kind of a very unique situation and kind of a perfect, uh, perfect match.
2: Yeah. And uh, again, goes all the way back to when he was initially recruiting that area. Um, you know, was highly involved with uh, the Caleb Williams uh, recruitment as well, right down the road in, in uh, DC. One this same guy I was talking to was talking about how Carolina is just racking up in that area. And he was like, look, man, the other, he said, y'all, because, you know, I I was covering Carolina, but as Chris, as you know, you get sort of like lumped in, Yeah, man, y'all, y'all need to recruit every sport up here. I was (laughs) like, well, I can tell you
3: football is, I don't know about the other sports, but y'all need to just come get everybody here. But, did you catch us by the way, Anton Harrison, that offensive tackle you're talking about? Did you catch Beamer yesterday? Said that one like he thought it might have literally been the first message he got after Harbor committed was from Anton Harrison. Sent him a, a DM on Twitter congratulating him. So that was, you know, another pretty cool just a little little cool moment from yesterday.
2: Yeah, really cool. I, I still have not um being there and then trying to get content up and then trying to get back home safely, I still have not listened to the Beamer Presser, I, I've seen some of the quotes. I know it, there was a lot uh, a lot going on there. But, um, man, crazy day. And, Chris, kind of unprecedented. We talked about this on 107.5. I do want to unpack it a little bit here on the podcast, here on the show. But, I mean, we've seen Carolina get five stars. We've seen them win. You know, the, the Jordan Birch battle was – I mean, that's a big boy, the absolute definition of a big boy recruiting battle. They won it out. Is Jordan did Jordan Birch pick South Carolina if he didn't live five minutes, ten minutes from the University of South Carolina? I would say probably not. Um it was a huge win at the time. They had to they had to work their tails off for it. However, to to now go way out of state, Atlanta guy like Harbor with the national name that he has five-star guy, five-star athlete. Um, This kind of is unprecedented. uh, I feel like for South Carolina, uh, which is, which means that is noteworthy.
3: Yeah, it is, man. I mean, we're kind of going through it earlier, you know, in terms of consensus, five-star guys. I mean, Marshawn Lloyd, I don't think he was a five star. Some places, I don't think he was a consensus one. Chris Culliver, not a consensus five star. So, this is kind of a historic moment for South Carolina. You know, mentioned some of the guys earlier Clowney, Lattimore, Gilmore, you know, some of the big time recruits that South Carolina's landed that are of the highest rated variety, Birch, as you mentioned, not out of state guys. And so, just going back to how we opened the show, just another signal of kind of the recruiting power and recruiting prowess that that Shane Beamer is now bringing. Now, that doesn't mean – look, that doesn't mean now that South Carolina's has fully arrived and now they can just go start picking and choosing, even out of the DMV. They're, they're still going to get in some battles there. They've obviously had a pretty good track record lately. I think they can continue that. There are some indications that they can. Dylan Stewart from the 2024 class, who's one of the top edge prospects in the country, is a guy that's publicly multiple times – Listed South Carolina as his leader. I think they'll probably end up uh, having to go down to the wire on that one, Wes, as well. But they have a shot. This doesn't mean they're going to start going into Georgia and signing five stars, four stars left and right. But it does show that they're starting to make some headway. They're starting to up the quality of their class year after year. I mean, just go look at it. Look at 21, then 22, then 23. Each one – building on the other, each one better than the other, and 24 has a chance, you know, to be one of the better classes in a really long time, less if things continue progressing for, for South Carolina. But yeah, definitely, you know, it, it just shows a good strategy as well to go into, you know, to kind of pick the DMV area as saying, hey, we're not going to have first of all, you're not going to get 20 guys from the state of South Carolina that are good enough to make you a championship program year in and year out. You're just not. It's the way it is. A lot of good football players here, not 20 to 25 a cycle. Um, You go into Georgia, that's a a meat grinder. You know, you you need to get some guys from there. You need to sign some guys from the Carolinas, Georgia, Florida, et cetera. But where can you go spot recruit and be strategic? Well, the DMV is a perfect one because South Carolina is the closest SEC program. Shane Beamer, and Gray, they have ties up there. And if you get the right type of guy and you get him down, now you have uh, an opportunity, you know, to be in the mix. And there's a lot of talent up there.
2: there. This could be an entire show unpacking the blueprint that South Carolina is following right now. And, you know, I, I think, Chris, in some ways it is a blueprint. Like, some ways it is by design. Some ways it kind of just plays out however it plays out. Like, which guy's – do you end up succeeding in landing? You know, like you could look at, all they got guys from this area, this area, this area, in the class. Well, in theory, they probably recruited a guy from this other area and that area and that area as well. They just didn't have as much success with that guy. However, I do think you're kind of seeing the blueprint for me, and it's a little bit different than what I would have probably queued up as – the blueprint we've seen in the past. And what I mean by that is let's take the Spurrier era. You're talking about a time when you had elite players coming through the state of South Carolina, not just really good players, not just four star guys, but you had the stretch. We all know what I'm talking about. You had the, you know, Gilmore, Lattimore Clowney, and then add into that Alshon swearinger, who wasn't the highly recruited guy, but ended up being great. Um, you know, uh, Devin Taylor, not highly recruited, but was great. Um, Devontae Hollum, I mean, you had you had guys in this state who were very, very good football players, some of them elite football players, elite national talents. So the, the key there was kind of keep your guys in state, and then you branch out from there. You're going to land some guys from Florida because of Spurriers' ties. You're hoping you can spot recruit Georgia. I think Georgia's gotten a little more difficult to recruit over the years than it was then. And then, Chris, you had the state of North Carolina, where you're going out every year, you're getting, I don't know, a handful of guys from there. Melvin Ingram from North Carolina. I mean, you can go back, didn't necessarily turn out the way people wanted. Wesley Saunders, though, highly recruited guy. Um, Chris Culliver, five star guy, according to some services. Then you were really spot recruiting a guy or two in the Northeast that G.A. Mangus had ties to, basically. That was sort of the blueprint. The difference now, I think, is North Carolina has kind of been shut off. But I think you look at this class, you say, you can firmly project South Carolina's doing the best to recruit the Palmetto State. For 2023 and 2024. You can almost already project that. North Carolina is kind of shut off right now, but the DM the greater DMV area has kind of replaced it on the blueprint, I think. Then you gotta find a guy or two who fits the Vicari Swain mold. This is a Georgia kid, a little bit light, a little bit more lightly recruited high school. Get in on him before everybody else and take him right out from under everybody's noses. Um, Then I think you add in maybe the Jody Wright connections, maybe some Alabama, some Mississippi, just a guy or two, maybe even every couple of classes. Then you throw in the portal. You go national at quarterback. Everybody does. And I I think that's the blueprint. It's much more – DMV and plus Virginia. Like, I know the V is Virginia, but when people say DMV, they're talking about that section of Virginia. I think for Carolina, it's the entire state of Virginia. And to me, that's what we're seeing right now.
3: Yep. And I'd throw in, you, you covered a lot of uh, geography there, Wes. I talked but, a long
2: time. I know, I know.
3: No, no, no. You covered a lot of geography. It wasn't the link, but so you might say Chris already said that, but Pete Limbo up in. Philly, New York, you're going to have a little of that. Um, he's got some ties up there. And certainly, like, the hope, I do think South, South Carolina needs to do as a school, they do need to do a little better in North Carolina. I know that, uh, look, North Carolina, the schools in the southeast are always going to recruit North Carolina, and then you're going to have, uh, you know, Penn State and Ohio State. I mean, you're going to have all those schools recruiting North Carolina as well. Um, and UNC certainly the way that they've recruited under Mack Brown, kind of that uptick, that has shut turned that faucet off a little bit for every other school, not just South Carolina. need to do a little bit better there, but I I think you nailed it. I mean, spot recruiting some strategic key areas where you have connections. You know, Tennessee will be in there a little bit. Clayton White's offered some guys from uh, Nashville, from Chattanooga on defense in particular. Those will be – you know, very, very important areas. But they, they do have some unique ties with Limbo and Philly and New York. They've been pretty active up there, Connecticut, Massachusetts. Um, you see some spot recruiting there. So being strategic, I mean, you, you don't want to go beat your head against the wall because somebody mentioned in the, in the chat, I think it was Travis Rowell, you know, yes, not all the kids are going to go to Georgia. That's very true. And they're going to be able to nationally recruit Georgia is as well. But Georgia is I mean, it's a shark tank. I mean, everybody's in Georgia. So, yeah, you want to go – if you can go win a five-star from Atlanta, awesome. That's great. If he's a great player and you can get him. But like you said, Wes, go find a Swain, a Kilgore too, and then be strategic in the rest of what you're doing. You can't go in and say, we're going to sign the top 15 kids in Georgia. Nobody's doing that. Probably not even UGA is doing that right now.
2: Yeah. And I, how could I forget the great Pete Limbo? He's definitely, and, and Chris, I think probably with my example included probably doesn't quite get the attention he deserves for getting Carolina in on guys up that way. I'm, you can tell I'm a South Carolina guy, uh, born or raised at heart because all that stuff up there is up that way to me. Like, in my brain, I have to be looking at a map to even tell you what's where. So, all that stuff, all that area that Pete's going to up that way, um, he's getting Carolina in the door, I feel like. And then, you know, from that point forward, the, the position coaches kind of not take over, but get get much more involved. And, uh, again, I, I don't know. Again, the two shows kind of run together. But Sterling Lucas getting back Nick. Sterling Lucas – Rising star, man. I mean, holy cow! We've been saying that. I think people are starting to see that Sterling Lucas, rising star, and then Jody Wright. Jody Jody Wright's a young veteran. I would say, like, <laughs> you know, he's not he's not an old he's not an old head, um, but he's been around the game. He know he knows the game. He's Alabama forged.
3: you would say, oh, absolutely. Spent time on Nick Saban's recruiting staff. Up think he was the uh, director of high school relations, I think was his title. So ties in Alabama, Mississippi State. Obviously worked at Mississippi State, has the NFL background. So kind of has an interesting background. But, yeah, those guys did a great job. And, um, you know, first visit for Nick Carver was in June 2021. And that's the one where, you know, Beamer greeted him as soon as he got there. And that's when Eric Kimmery was the tight ends coach. And I specifically remember, Wes, that was – kind of, we heard a little feedback from that visit and how, you know, this is going to be a guy that South Carolina is probably going to have a shot with. And there were some staff changes, right. Um, But Jody, Wright, Sterling Lucas, they did a phenomenal job from just a relationship standpoint. Again, we'll go back to that word. That is one that was super important to Nick and his family and that what they were able to bring it back to in the end. If, if, South Carolina did not build those relationships that Beamer, Wright, Lucas did. Dow Loggins did a good job once he got into the mix, Wes. If they did not have those to stand on at the end, I don't think this thing would have turned back around. I think they had to kind of build those, strengthen them, and then return to them at the appropriate time, which as it turned out was really on signing day morning. Yeah, big, big final push there
2: from several schools of the Gamecocks winning out. And – um Chris, I I think it's interesting. Uh, Sometimes guys in this business get labeled as, quote, athletes. And it's like, all right, you're the number one athlete. And in the case of a guy like Mazio Bennett, who's about to announce tomorrow, he's listed as an athlete. I think this is one where we need to probably just pull rank and like Charles Power, can you make him a wide receiver? He's a wide receiver all the way. Um, In the terms of Nicholas Harbor, though, I mean, he's the very definition of what the athlete category should be. He's the number one athlete in the country, according to the On3 consensus. As far as the category goes, he also is quite literally the number one athlete in terms of athleticism in his entire class as well, which begs the question, now that you have Nicholas Harbour, how do you use him most effectively – for both your current South Carolina football team and for Nick's own hopes and dreams in terms of using him the best way possible for his future. So I want to dive into that question because I know it's something that's already been talked about. But now it's here. He's a Gamecock. That's the next step. Find out exactly how you're going to use him. So I'm going to talk about that here in a second. But first, going to tell you about our friends at Liberty Tax, 803-462-5576. It is tax time, Chris. That means we all have to do our dreaded taxes. And the team at Liberty Tax in Irmo, Lexington, and Columbia will help walk you through that process. They will clear up any confusion you may have, and they will guarantee that you get the biggest possible refund or your money back. Um, If you're in a hurry for that refund, or on the other side of things, if you're worried about owing the IRS money, they're going to help you out straight through that entire process. They're locally owned and operated. They're staffed by tax professionals from your neighborhood, and this time of year, they are open 9 to 9 on weekdays and 9 to 5 on Saturdays. Multiple service options start through the Liberty Tax mobile app or through the desktop portal. If you don't want to go in person, you do not have to. Again, appreciate our friends at Liberty Tax. Tax time sucks, but they will help walk you through it is the summary of everything I just said. So give them a call. Chris, we we started this discussion earlier. It is a very fascinating discussion, I think. The more we talked about it, we had somebody asking earlier, is there any chance Nicholas Harbor lines up in the backfield as a running back like Jaheim Bell? I would say no on that. However, our guy John Wilson on Facebook He is going the exact direction I was wanting to go with my question. South Carolina starts the season against North Carolina this year. Carolina Panthers Stadium, big showdown. Spencer Rattler, Dreg May. The 2023 season is kicking off. South Carolina wins the toss. They elect to receive the ball. Is Nicholas Harbour... Returning that kick for South Carolina?
3: It is an intriguing question. Put you completely on the spot with that one, didn't I? Mm. Oh, yeah. I'm going to say no. That's where I'm going. Not to spoil the fun. I'm going to say no. But I have, I, I too have thought about this possibility. And like, look, not to discount Nicholas Harbor's skills on the football field. He, he does again he's got more development to do obviously we we all know john you myself i think everybody knows i mean a lot more speed is a great asset for a kick returner but so much more that goes into it other than that what what we do know is if nick carver could get even or even a little less than even with somebody in a kick return situation it's going to be a touchdown you know very most likely so um uh, that, that would be intriguing, though. I'm very interested in that. I, do you see a lot of, like, guys his size as a kicker turner? I don't know. No. Nope. we see it. Do what? I hope we see it. You, you don't,
2: but you don't see a lot of guys his size that are as fast as him.
3: You, you don't. Know? You don't. That's a great point. That's probably why you don't see as many of them. If there are a bunch of Nick Carvers running around, you might see more Nick carver esque kick returners. The uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give I'm gonna
2: give one I'm gonna give an example that will both make the point that he will and won't be the kickoff returner. And that is Xavier Leggett. And yeah. I say that it can be in either side. Because, for one, Leggett is back on the South Carolina football team and ended up being a great decision to make him the kickoff returner. I was sitting there going, wait, I thought Juju was going to be the kickoff returner. Leggett ends up being the guy we saw against Texas A&M. We actually saw some other games as well. Um, Really, really did a fantastic job. Well, also, Leggett, a big dude and limbo even in one of his press conferences talked about the value of having size in the at the kickoff return position where guys are bouncing off of you he ran through a tackle before taking it to the house mm-hmm. in that huge play against Texas A&M to start that game so you don't see guys that big returning kickoffs but there could be an advantage to be that big and returning kickoffs um how big I can I have the entire vast knowledge of the world in front of me. So I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to look it up. Cordell Patterson. Currently listed 6'2", 220. Mm-hmm. Uh, so still not not as much. You're not talking about as much length that is having to go full speed and get hit by other people that are also going full speed. How much does that play into it? That you're putting this guy's you know entire frame on the line to get Bashed by guys running down there.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: However, I would be very, if I have the world's fastest man, it's like that thing of, well, could Usain Bolt return kickoffs? Yeah. You know, at the very least, he's going to be one of the guys when we go out there and watch 10 minutes of practice that is catching kickoffs, right?
3: I hope so. I would love to see it. I'm just, I'm super intrigued by the possibility even more so than him playing whatever other position you want to outline. I, I want to see this. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It hasn't come up yet. Has it? Like I don't think anybody's asked Shane Beamer or anybody else or Nick, Hey, you going to return some kicks. I don't, I don't think it's come up yet, but let's hope it does. So we can all kind of test this experiment. I think it would be phenomenal. Um, So,
2: when you you talked about when he first got on campus in 21, I remember thinking this guy is going to be a pass rusher. I was like, guys like that ultimately are paid very, very well to go hit quarterbacks because offensive tackles cannot protect against them. However – it has shifted completely the other way. Um, then you had all this tight end talk. So I was I was dead wrong on that. My initial instinct, defensive guy all the way. Now I'll say this. When they started talking about tight end, my instinct was why even play him at tight end when you can just make him a wide receiver. And as of right now, Chris, that does seem to be the plan. Although, even Nick threw in, I might go rush the passer a couple times here and there. Just dabble. Could he be be the first-ever wide receiver plus third-down pass rusher?
3: Would it be the first-ever?
2: I mean, I'm just assuming. I've never seen it happen. At the college level? I haven't either. I can't
3: think of it. We saw... Julius Peppers do the tight end, DN thing, but not really receiver. can not really see that. Yeah, it would be very interesting. I, I'm i in favor. I'm in favor of anything you want to do with Nick Carver. Do it. Let, let's try it. Left tackle. Go. Not really. Right. Could probably do that, too. So at, okay. at
2: the high school level, he could 100% do that. <laughs>
3: he could 100% do it. No, yeah, but it, it does look like like a big wide receiver. And, man, that is such a tool for an offensive coach because you're not just saying this guy's really fast. He can t- you hear a lot about, you know, the coaching term, being able to take the top off of defense. And so there's some different strategies that you can maybe use. I mean, Nick Carver's going to be a tough guy to jam at the line, you know. It's going to be a little more probably difficult given his size. And so – someone like him, even if he's not being thrown the ball, even if he's not even necessarily open, so to speak, you know, being able to attract that much attention to stretch the field vertically like that, that is something that's a, that's a valuable tool for an offensive staff.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, honestly, off the top, Chris, that may be where his biggest value is in, the number of resources you have to devote if you are a defensive coordinator to just being in a position to to guard him effectively, because I, I think you split him wide. If I'm Dow Loggins, I'm going, I have a great chess piece here to add to my offense and that I, I'm honestly splitting him as wide as possible and making him draw coverage because he can probably run off two guys. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to just guard this guy one-on-one. Um, you can't press him if you're a corner. You get knocked on your tail. And <laughs> you can't just try to cover him because in a long distance, you know, we're talking like go route, deep post, long distance, he's going to outrun you. So you have to put that safety over there. That opens up things for everybody else, I think. So... if I think that's where the value instantly comes. However, I do think, Chris, it is important to have some nuance to setting the expectations for Nick Harbour in year one. Thank you. And um, I I realize completely that we are at the 48-minute mark of this podcast, and we have spent 46 minutes of it telling everybody – how great Nicholas Harbor is, uh, fully understand that. We are, we are part of the problem, I will say. But let's all collectively try to have a little nuance in understanding this guy is, again, quite literally the best athlete in the country. However, because of the number of things he is involved in, playing actually played more defense in high school, Then he did offense. We know about all the time he puts into track. As fish addict, you're, you're right. You're right. Thinking you're thinking right along with me, man. He says, what is Harbor like as a route runner? He is not going to be a developed player yet as a wide receiver. The physical tools are off the charts and it's not even hard to see because speed, size, overall athleticism, are all elite. But the nuances of route running, the uh, you know catching the football with your hands instead of your body, um, knowing how to position yourself in a 50-50 ball, um, knowing how to block on the edge. like Some of that is want to, some of that is size and strength, but there's a technique to that as well. He is the best athlete in the country, but he's also going to be one of the more raw receivers In the entire country as well. So I'm hopeful, since Nick Harbour's name has gravitated over into just Twitter land where everybody knows who he is, everybody talks to him, they see Five Star by his name, he's not going to be Julio Jones or A.J. Green or somebody like that or Calvin Johnson when he initially arrives. I think that is beyond important that we all – except very early.
3: Yes. Please do not post on Twitter or Gamecock Central when he doesn't have 20 touchdowns as a freshman that he's a bust or something like that, right? I mean, the good news is this, Wes, with the immense physical talents, you have a kid who is one of the more driven guys I think you could see. And so when he's working with it, whether it's Jody Wright, in the tight end room, if he gets goes over there some, Justin Stepp at receiver, whatever he's asked to do, I think he's going to give it his all. He's very smart, intelligent. He's very driven, and he's a team-first type of guy from all indications that we've heard. Um, Curtis Fry talked about that. Beamer's talked about it. His high school coach has talked about it. Nick said it. And so um, I think he's going to take to everything that he's taught quite quickly, uh, but it is going to take him more time you know, to, I think, develop just because he doesn't have as much experience and because he has that kind of the whole two-sport dynamic going on there.
2: And I'll I'll be curious to see what that balance looks like, ultimately, between track. You're not talking about one of these guys who, you know, I'm a football player, but I also just love to run track and I'm good at it. There are very real track aspirations that are here. How does that factor into the football progress as well? I mean, all we, we talked about it earlier, man. There is some, there's some responsibility here. There's some pressure here now that he's going to be at South Carolina to help put him in positions to develop in the best possible ways. And um, nobody, it, it's a great problem to have. It's one of those things you shouldn't call it a problem, but it is worth noting. I think that there there is some responsibility here.
3: Yeah, Curtis Fry actually spent a lot of time, South Carolina's track coach, talking about that yesterday and that he was kind of, you know, I mean, he was really funny during his, but he's like basically like, yeah, hopefully I can come through on, on developing him because he was talking about just how much talent the guy has. And so, um, yeah, it can be, you know, it, it is a, something where you want. This skill set, if you're a coach, I mean, this is like a creative player in terms of the traits. But then you also have to figure out because it is such a unique skill set, he doesn't really fit into one specific bucket. And so you kind of have to figure it out. But it does seem like South Carolina initially, although the position um, positional uh, you know, aspirations have kind of the plans rather have kind of changed here, they've evolved it seems like they've kind of gone with, well, what does, what does Nick Carver want to do? And you don't do that for every player, Wes. Certainly you wouldn't want to build your team that way. And not everybody could be in position to even do that from an athletic standpoint, but he seems to be more interested in being a big wide receiver. And so that seems to be the route they're going to take. So it'll be, uh it'll be fascinating to watch. Um, you know, as soon as he gets on campus, we get to see him. Uh, it'll be a while, but we will get to see him in preseason and uh Sure, we'll hear some returns in the summer too that are going to be very interesting.
2: Yes. Easily one of the uh already one of the most intriguing storylines going into next year. And we haven't even gotten through spring practice yet. So looking forward to that. It's gonna be a discussion. Let's be honest, y'all. It's gonna be a discussion that continues well into the season because somebody is gonna say, Well, oh my goodness, we're not using him right. You got to do him this, use him this way, you know. He's on offense. He needs to play defense. Why is he not on special teams? He needs to be focused on track. He needs to be focused on football. Can he play baseball? There's always going to be something with a guy who has so many different options and the potential to excel, frankly, at all of them. Um, We're about to close this thing out. But, how, Chris, how about the matter of factness in which Harbor said, you know, got to be the number one pick in the draft. Uh, got to go to the Olympics. Just casual.
3: Yeah, just casual. Uh, gonna be gonna be a surgeon after that. Once I get done winning a bunch of gold medals and being the number one pick and all those things. Yeah, billionaire, I mean, right? That's what he told me. Yeah, yeah, told me uh, when I went visit in August. That was one of his on the record quotes. Just talking about what he was looking for in a school and this, and this and this and this and you know place where i can become a billionaire so high aspirations but like you said it great earlier today said it well i mean you you believe what he says i mean he certainly backs up on the track and on the football field uh you know anything he might be saying and so this is a kid that athletically and from an intelligent standpoint from a a confidence and a drive standpoint work ethic i don't i don't think you really bet against nicholas harbour probably very often a lot of a lot of upside and potential there um and just so many athletic and mental i think tools there for him
2: yeah i'm not going to be the one to tell him
3: he can't <laughs> please you know i'm good I mean, I'm, I'm with you
2: the uh and again there is an it factor here y'all i said this earlier but for those who missed it it was kind of similar to being in the building um You know, I've had the pleasure of being there for Lattimore, Gilmore, Clowney. Um, I was there for Alshon. It kind of, kind of had that vibe to it. Um, And Beamer closed it out, man. If if fans were wondering if their head coach knew how to close these battles, we've seen it in this class, and uh, we're already seeing it in 2024 as well. Again, we're about out of time, but I I do want to mention because we won't be with y'all. Again, um, I guess we'll have the 107.5 show, but Mazio Bennett, Chris, announcing at noon on Friday. Um, he put out that tweet with a date and time tomorrow at noon. I did confirm, even though it was obvious, confirmed for sure, just to make sure that is an, an announcement. That's not him, you know, deciding on some new shoes or anything. Like that's his commitment announcement. But Gamecocks, by his own words, have been, fan, have been in fantastic shape here with Bennett.
3: Yeah, he had the commitment last year, last fall to Tennessee, that he backed away from. You know, mentioned coaching changes at Tennessee, but I also think, West that just, again, the relationships that South Carolina's built there, they were on him very early. They've recruited him very hard. Um, obviously, some offensive changes at South Carolina of their own, beating Tennessee 63-38 to 38 during the season when Bennett was committed to the Vols at that point was an eye-opener. For sure. And uh, it's kind of everything's lined up for South Carolina. They appear to be in really good position heading into this one and be would be West if it happens. Yet another four star acquisition and yet another in-state acquisition. Uh, South Carolina is doing really well on both of those fronts uh, for the 2024 class. That would be five four star prospects to start the
2: 2024 class with a shot already. At several others, but uh, again, that could be a podcast episode of its own. If South Carolina, if Mazio does pick South Carolina, I should say, we will have complete coverage of uh, the impact of that. I don't think there's a ceremony or anything right now. I think it's going to be posted on social thing, but we uh, will have coverage. We'll have uh, complete coverage of all that, but appreciate y'all again. uh, This has been fun. Uh, Good news for the Gamecocks again yesterday. Enjoyed talking about it with you all. Uh, if, if we missed your question, we'll definitely try to get to them next time. Uh, there was a question about run defense. I'm with you, man. I think there were I think there were several questions from one person about run defense. Uh, wanted to keep this one about Nick Harbour and Carolina recruiting, but that, no doubt, will be an in-depth discussion throughout the offseason, I think. So not ignoring you. Appreciate everybody joining. Appreciate all the comments. Uh, we don't take any of them for granted. Uh, he is Chris. I'm Wes, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you all soon.
0: money lines you can even pick who's gonna win it all just visit fanduel.com on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets
1: tennessee virginia and vermont call one 800 NextStep or text next step to 53342 in arizona 1-8- 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in connecticut 1-800-9 with it in indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit ks gambling Help